Surrogacy and Donor IVF, a limited podcast series. Recorded and produced by Growing Families, Sam Everingham and Kerry Duncan. Hi everybody, welcome to our podcast about sourcing donor eggs. And we've got Sam Everingham with us today, who is our host, but is also an expert in this matter. And he's going to share his knowledge and his advice for people who are seeking donor eggs. So thanks Sam and welcome. Hi, Kerry. Good to be on here again. It's great. Fantastic. So it is a big topic. And we heard in our podcasts, we recently interviewed Peter Illingworth. He's a director of IVF Australia. He told us that the egg in, in the fertilization process really does most of the heavy lifting. It really has the biggest impact on fertility success. And as we know, eggs are really tricky to extract. They're a lot more onerous for women to donate than, than men. So I think that's one of the reasons there's not as many eggs around. It's it's a big thing for women to do and there can be wait lists. So Sam, let's chat about that and where people go and wait times and even sort of donation around the, the world would be fabulous. So first question, where do you go if you need donor eggs? What's, what's the starting point, Sam? Look, I always say to people, maybe look around your own networks first. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of people who need donor eggs are in their late 30s or 40s, and so usually their own friends and family are, are the same sort of age, and that makes it harder. But if you do have sort of a, a friend willing to offer who is under the age of 30, ideally, then it's worth looking at, because it means you can do it locally. Mm-hmm. Well, the next starting point, though, would be going to your IVF clinic and seeing whether they have a, a database of of donors. In countries like Australia, we're short on the ground, but the donor databases, a lot of the IVF clinics don't have those databases. So it can be hard, but it's certainly an option you can look at. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Sam, which countries do you think make it easier compared to others and more complex destinations for donor eggs? Yeah, look, the rules around egg donation vary a lot globally. In Australia, you know, donors must be known donors, must have access counselling, must meet, meet donor limits with families. So it makes it harder to re- recruit, and they have to be altruistic. They can't be paid in Australia. So that makes it quite hard. Whereas countries like Spain and the USA, where donors can be paid, where there's a choice of anonymous or known, there's a lot more flexibility there. So they have much greater pools of donors who are, who are younger. And, and as a result, you know, much greater success with their eggs. So it does depend a lot on the country's own regulations in this space, mm. um, the size of the country. I mean, places like the US and Spain, large populations, so they have plenty of donors available. And does that mean, for example, an Australian woman, they can send a surrogate and go overseas and collect an egg from overseas and bring it back, have it shipped back to Australia? No. So that's another complicating factor here is that importing eggs has also got rules around it. So if you're going overseas, the only eggs, for example, that can come back to Australia need to meet Australian requirements. They need to also be be taken from a donor who agrees to be altruistic, who agrees to undergo counselling, meet family limits, and so forth. So it makes it quite hard. So many women who do want a, what we call a fresh donor cycle uh, go overseas to do that, but they're not able to bring the eggs or embryos back to Australia. Mm, okay. But I understand there's like a European database of egg donation. Is that right? Can you tell us a little bit about that, if you know much about it? 
So there's some large companies in, in Europe that do have, if you like, egg banks where you can register on their, for their database. And there's a number of countries around the world now, or companies, I should say, based in the USA and Europe, that do have quite large databases of, of egg donors. Many of those are frozen eggs where they've actually recruited donors ahead of time and they've had those eggs frozen and you can buy a sort of a, a batch of frozen eggs. And some of those egg banks have deals with clinics where they can ship those eggs to the clinics. The patient can go direct to the egg bank and say, oh, I like the look of this donor. Could I use it in this clinic or could I come over and make embryos with at the egg bank? So there's a number of options there that can be looked at. And that's where we get to the point also, what's the difference between fresh eggs and frozen eggs? So mm -hmm. there's a greater availability of, of frozen eggs and they're a bit cheaper because they've been sort of made before. Whereas fresh eggs, what we're having to do is take an egg donor to the IVF clinic and harvest her eggs and make the embryo straight away with her with her eggs rather than freezing them. And that's a more successful technique likely to result in more embryos because the thaw rate for eggs is not so good. So while it's more expensive to do it, a lot of people do prefer to use fresh eggs to make those embryos. Can you tell us a bit about costs, Sam, around the world? Some of it's altruistic. Obviously, there's no payment involved. Oh, there probably is actually still a cost. Oh, someone can donate their eggs and that's altruistic, but then to use them involves money, I'd imagine. Well, that's right. So, I mean, even, you know, in a country like Australia where it is uh, altruistic, you're still paying for the um, administration and for the egg donors' travel costs and, and for the what we call the egg pickup. So, I mean, the costs, even in an altruistic setting, are still going to be a sort of a good $5,000 US at a minimum or maybe, you know, 7000 Australian. And then you've got the cost of making the embryos. It will be not uncommon if you're buying frozen eggs and importing them to a country like Australia, that you'll be paying $15,000 at a minimum for those eggs to come in before you've even made the embryos. So there's quite significant costs up front there. Eggs coming in from countries like the USA are even more expensive. You know, you might be paying sort of $25,000 for a, a batch of eggs coming in from the USA. So there's quite significant costs involved. And as a result, a lot of people do choose to actually travel themselves overseas to clinics where they can actually engage with an egg donor, make the embryos for a far lesser amount. So what we're saying here is they might only have to pay $1,000 for the eggs when they're over there, and then maybe they pay sort of $5,000 for the whole cycle mm -hmm. um, overseas. So we see typically we see foreign nationals going to countries like Spain in Europe like North Cyprus, like Czech Republic, like Greece, because the cost of the IVF there and the egg donors is significantly less than in their own countries. Mm. Those who need an egg donor and a surrogate have got to be careful, though, because for those kind of people, a lot of those countries I'm talking about don't have surrogate programs. So if you make the embryos, for example, in Spain or Czech Republic and you need a surrogate, you have to then take them to another country for where the surrogate is. So Wow. The logistics of that can get complicated. Mm, absolutely. Sam, could we run through those countries you just mentioned and the, the main countries where people go for egg collection or egg donation and say whether they're known or unknown? Yep, yep, yep. So, look, countries like the USA, which is a popular destination, has a choice of 
known and anonymous donors, but it's much more common for donors there to be anonymous. So it's harder to get donors who are what we call identity release. Identity release means that the donor will agree to have her record shared with your child when the kid is sort of 16 or 18. In countries like Spain and Greece, the donors are all anonymous there, and the same for Czech Republic. Cyprus has a, has a mix of donors. Places like Ukraine have a mix of donors. In places like Georgia, we're seeing donors who are, always have to be identity release. We're also seeing now countries which have a excess supply of donors, if you like, like Ukraine, where they're actually shipping those frozen eggs to countries that have a shortage, like Australia mm-hmm. and like the USA. So companies, you know, where the donors are sort of available are saying, okay, we'll we'll, we'll ship these in batches. And so they're available for your patients, for a doctor's clinic, to use. That's great. So is that allowed in Australia? I know in, in Victoria that VARTA is very strict on importing. It's probably different around different states, so in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Look, certainly there's one US donor program called World Egg Bank, which is expensive but is allowed in, in all the states in Australia. Eggs coming from other countries like Ukraine or Georgia, for example, it, it's stricter and there's much fewer clinics that have those available in Australia. Maybe two or three of the big clinics now in, in many of the states have access to those donor eggs. So it does depend on the clinic. It's worth shopping around and asking growing families or asking a clinic about what access they have to donors because mm-hmm. the ones that have done deals, if you like done partnerships with those overseas programs, it gives their patients a much better options, if you like. Sure. It sounds like it's very complex in some ways. So you've got the World Bank donor, but then there seems like there's lots of other programs and registries of donor eggs. There are. So there's a number around which could be very confusing. The other issue which is hard for people in terms of managing risk is while these companies will guarantee you a certain number of eggs and they'll often say, look, we'll guarantee of those eggs that you'll make at least one or, or if you pay more, at least two day five embryos, they won't guarantee that those embryos will result in a, in a pregnancy or a birth. Mm-hmm. So you can be paying significant money for these donor eggs and then not have success with them. So there are risks there that people need to be aware of is that we're, we're not guaranteeing success. And how about in terms of managing the amount of eggs that someone can donate and then even recording it? So someone decides that they take a donated egg and they, they might have a child and then that child could have 15 siblings, for example. How, how does that get controlled globally? Really? Yeah, look, it's a really interesting question that. And unfortunately, in some countries, there's no control over that. I mean, places like the the USA, they don't have sort of rules or regulations around the number of times you can donate. And and so there are a lot of sort of families where there would be sort of half-siblings sort of spread around the country or the world. Places like Australia tend to be much more regulated and be more strict, and they will say, look, the law says in our state that, you know, you can only donate to five families or sometimes 10 families. One of the troubles they had, though, is policing that because the the donors might not declare they've donated to another clinic in another state or, or another clinic in the same city even. And so it can be very hard to police these kinds of rules as well. So it does make it difficult. There are some programs where you can pay a premium in order to get an egg donor that's not, not given to anybody else where they'll say, okay, this egg donor is just for me. So that's another option that's done in, in the state sometimes. But you're paying a lot of money for that, that kind of a, an option. So given that complexity, Sam, this is probably a really challenging question, what do you think could be done to regulate in this space? It still gives people choice, 
but helps to control that potential problem? Yeah, look, it's a really hard question, the issue of global regulation in this area, because you're relying partly on honesty and you also you know, don't want to interfere too much into people's lives. But the other issue we're seeing is there's so much global travel occurs now where people are prepared to travel internationally to 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 seek donor eggs that be able to control information there is is difficult. And different countries have different norms around what they feel is appropriate. For example, a country like Greece would never feel it's appropriate to have a known donor. Culturally, that's not accepted. Mm. Whereas, you know, here in Australia, you know, we're the opposite where we feel no, that the, the, the child's right should be paramount about having access to that that egg donor's information. So getting countries to agree on on what's, if you like, correct is, is an impossible task because of these differences in cultural norms. Mm. Um, so I think we're never going to come up with a sort of a standard set of rules across the world. But I think it's up to the individual patients, intending parents to really be comfortable themselves in the decisions they make and make sure they can ask their egg donor agency or their IVF clinic exactly uh, what their policies are around how many times their egg donor is allowed to donate mm. uh, where her eggs are going to so they can have some transparency and have something to tell their kids. Yes, I know with Greece that, as you said, it's uh, definitely unknown donors. It's kept confidential. But if there is an illness, I understand you can go to the court, apply for a court order to disclose some information about medical histories, et cetera? Yeah, that's right. And actually, Greece has just brought in a, a new rule that does allow people to import embryos to Greece if there was a, a donor they knew used, as long as it wasn't a, a blood relative. So Greece is suddenly relaxed with laws a bit in that, in that area as well. Egg donor babies. So we've had a couple of interviews in our podcast, Sam, where Women try and persist using their own eggs, perhaps in their 40s, and they're, they're statistically they're, it's less likely to succeed. Just to reassure people from the ones that we've interviewed, everyone sort of says the same thing, that once you bond with your baby, they don't know of any women that have a problem with that or any couples. And just want to see if you want to add anything to that, Sam, in your experience. Yeah, it's a good point because we do get some resistance amongst many uh, couples or even singles about coming to terms with the donor eggs because they think, oh, well, you know, I really want to have my biology there. And at the end of the day, I say to them often, you know, it's a choice between, really, do you want to have a family or and it might, might require them to use a donor? And as you say, of the, of the hundreds of women we've worked with over a decade now, while some of them are worried about bonding with that child, there's never been any issue when it comes to bonding despite the lack of genetic connection. Because the baby's, you know, in their arms from day one, and it's the baby they've longed for, that, I suppose, parental instinct kicks in, sometimes mm. not immediately, but certainly, you know, pretty quickly. And uh, I, I would encourage, you know, any woman who's, who's concerned about that, they can they can speak to some of the, the parents who've been through the egg donor process to reassure them that there is sort of a pathway forward there and there's, that, that connection is real and it, it, it's there, there forever because you really are that parent from the baby from, from day dot. And Sam, you had your beautiful twin girls. Exactly the same thing with an egg donor. So yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so my partner has no genetic connection to the to the kids, but certainly feels just as connected as I do to those to those girls. Absolutely, Sam. Which country do you think has the best model for egg donation? Oh, look, that's a hard one because we're talking here about weighing up the the need for adequate supply of donors, 
versus, you know, the, the rights of the child issues. You know, there's countries like Canada, for example, which are similar to Australia in that you can't pay donors much. So there's, a, you know, a shortage of donors there. I think the model that we countries need to have ideally is to be able to allow their citizens to to source donor eggs from a wide range of environments, uh, countries which allow sort of shipping of eggs into the country. I mean, the USA comes to mind probably as the ideal place for, for egg donation because there's such a wide variety of donors available. There, they'll accept embryos coming into the country which use a donor. You can send embryos out of the country where a donor was used to some some environments. The main issue with some of the US clinics is the cost. It can be high. But we do have a, many, many intending parents coming to us who are from different cultural backgrounds. They might be Asian or they might be Indian, and they're looking for donors of that background. A lot of the world struggles to find donors of those different ethnicities. The USA is a big country and they're able to pay their donors. They tend to have donors available who might be Asian or Indian, for example. Whereas, you know, if you're looking at India itself, for example, there's strict rules in India about being able to export a donor created embryos or any embryos out of India. So someone who's an Indian background, you know, is sometimes forced to go and make the embryos in India and do the transfer in India if they want an Indian donor. And that's sort of obstructive for some people. And that would be similar for most of the Asian countries, would it, Sri Lanka? Yeah. Yeah, you would. Ireland, I mean, there is a program in Malaysia where Malaysia will allow you to make embryos there and then ship them elsewhere. So it does vary a bit by the country, but certainly two of the big hubs now in Asia for egg donation are Malaysia and the Philippines. Right. Wow. Okay. Gee, it's, it, is, it is a complex area, isn't it? I, I think, again, yeah. I know I say this in most episodes, it really does pay to get the right advice, unless you know someone who can donate to you. That, that's fabulous if you've got that option. But it yeah. sounds like it's, it makes sense to get the right advice because you're yeah, yeah. overwhelming. We, yeah, we've got a couple at the moment, for example, who are Australian couple, and one of them, the intending mum is of Asian descent, so they really love an Asian donor. Because those Asian donors aren't available in Australia, they're looking into making those embryos in the Philippines, and because they need a surrogate also, I mean, again, surrogates are short in Australia, they'll probably ship those embryos to a country which does have a surrogacy program, such as Argentina. So mm-hmm. we're really seeing these these intended parents make really what we call a global baby, where, where there's been a great interest creators around the world. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. Wow. Thanks, Sam. I was always just to finish off, any general advice you have for IPs looking at egg donation? Look, I think you need to understand that making good quality embryos is the crucial part of, of this. And so we do see a lot of intending parents who spend a lot of time and emotional and financial energy trying with their own eggs well into their late 30s and 40s. And that's that's got problems because it, it, it can lead to lots of heartache. So if some people are prepared for that and they say, no, I'll try anything to try with my own eggs. But at some stage, people do need to draw the line in the sand and say, look, it's not working now. Do we have a plan B? Are we prepared to go to a plan B uh, of donor? And I think that's a conversation that people need to have Early on, they need to think of their finances here too, because you can spend a lot of money on trying unsuccessful cycles up front with no success. Whereas if you if you go to donor, there are even some programs where donors use where they'll guarantee you success because they've got such good donors in the databases. And if you use one of them that we call a proven donor, which has done this before and it's worked, they'll say, "Well, look, we know this donor is so good that 
we know we're going to get a baby at the end of the day. So people need to consider those kind of things when they're planning. Fantastic. And we should mention Mel, who we interviewed recently, Sam, and she's a she donates eggs. She's donated many of her eggs, and she's also been a surrogate. And so it's it's interesting when you look at it from so many different perspectives. She got so much joy from donating and helping to create families where people otherwise couldn't. So it makes me just think of her and many others like her who have donated. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Amazing, you're right. It is. It's great. We do have people, altruistic donors like Mel, who are sort of out there who are happy to donate eggs. You know, there's women like that around the world, but it's just be able to connect with them. It's a, it's a key thing. So the more we can do to help people connect with those donor groups and uh, agencies, the better. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so I think, thanks, Sam. I think, again, the general recommendation is reach out for help from someone to get some advice or your homework up front. And, of course, Growing Families is here to help. So maybe reach out and contact Sam and someone in his team. Yeah, yeah. We do have an egg donor coordinator in the team these days because it's such a big topic for people. So we have someone who specialises in that area who can help, particularly intending mums who are grappling with the donor issues. And we, the newsletters we run often have stories about egg donor journeys for, for women too. So they're a good resource to have a look at as well. Thanks, Sam. Okay. Thanks, Kerry. Great to talk. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For further information, please head to the Growing Families website, www.growingfamilies.org.